Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. You can go ahead and be seated, and uh, and I add my voice of welcome. I know Pastor John welcomed you earlier. Uh, I want to uh, also welcome you, whether you're in this room or you're online watching and uh, connecting with us and participating. You know, one of the things I'd say for those of you who who have to stay away because you just uh, you're uncomfortable, you're uh, in a your health is a concern for you. Uh, boy, I tell you what, one of the things I challenge you with is just a difficulty is to be as engaged or to be engaged while you're watching and streaming. And so figure out ways where you could be focused and drawn, because sometimes the whisper of God, you know, when you're online is so subtle, you know, it's subtle sometimes here where you can just miss it totally if you're distracted. You, it's even doubly so online streaming. I've, I've observed, I've seen. And so, you know, we need to figure out ways in which we can be just really focused in so that when we hear that whisper, we don't miss out on it. And so I challenge you if you're online just to do the best you can. And for some people it might be that they have a smart TV, so stream on that TV so that it's a bigger image and it fills up more of your room versus, you know, trying to watch on your phone as you're also cooking lunch and, and doing this washing the dog and painting your house or whatever it is you're trying to all accomplish all in one day that maybe you need to set some of those things aside make the screen a little bit larger and just stop right and just focus on that uh, maybe for some of you if you're on facebook or you're connecting through our website with pastor dave he's our our our, our chat room leader right now that you would just communicate even and just you know maybe give us some some digital amens or or just you know let us know you're out there and just connecting just any of those small ways can help uh, we're in Philippians chapter 3 as we're looking at Paul's uh, Paul's basically last testimony his one of his last letters he wrote to the church and we're looking specifically uh, the the song that Doug sang was perfect it was a perfect timing thing of looking at our testimony because we're looking at in the section here where Paul in essence was giving his resume. And I've been thinking a lot this week about resumes and I was thinking about what's what's my resume. Now I'm not talking about the resume that I would send to a company or I send to a church saying, hey, here's the things that make me me that, that why you want to hire me. I'm thinking about my life in general as a resume and what would I include on that. And so what I did was I grab some things here uh, that were reminders of things that would be my resume. And so like here, I, I included one of my black belts. Matter of fact, this was my original black belt that was put on my waist back, you know, like 14, 15 years ago when I became a third, when I got, when I actually became a first degree black belt. And, and over the years, I, oh, I got three stripes on there, meaning I'm a third degree black belt in Kempo Karate. And, you know, I recognize that that's a piece of me that makes me a little bit of who I am. And for some of you, you go, Ah, that makes sense now. I see some of the aggression. I see some of the. I see some of the issues I've seen you. I, I understand that, right? Um, you know, black belt. That's a. That's something that I have paid attention to, and that's that's some one of the things I put on my resume. And and I just went in my office and I went around my house and I pulled some pictures and I pulled some things off that were things that I would put on my resume 
uh, that I would say, this is who I am. This here is, uh, this is my Master of Arts in Theology uh, from Reform Theological Seminary. So here I have, I have physical proof. If, if some of you are like, I really don't believe you finished your master's degree. Well, I, I, got, I got a diploma that says I did. So, so, you know, that was a piece. I was one of those guys that I figured out how to cram a three-year degree into seven years right? Got that all knocked out and got that master's degree knocked out. And that, again, is a part of who I am. Uh, and it's a, a big part of who I am. I mean, a lot of how I see scripture, a lot of how I see ministry was formed and shaped during those seven years uh, that I was at school. And during that time, I was also serving as a youth pastor and as a pastor here. That whole time was a real mission critical time for me. So was this. This is a certificate of ordination Back in September of 1997, um, you know, I know mo many of you right now, I know what's going on in your mind. You're, you're sitting there going, wow, I cannot believe that guy has been a pastor for 23 years. He looks so young. He's so young looking to think he's, he's been ordained for 23 years. It's cra crazy. Well, for me, uh, ordination was a big deal, a bigger deal than I realized walking into it, right? Uh, recognizing as I was at that church at Rockport Baptist back in 1997, and here are deacons and pastors who many of them knew me when I was four in fourth and fifth grade, and they, they watched me grow up, and, and they, during that moment, said they just, they separated me, they, they gathered around me, they laid hands on me, and they said as a group, as a body, we believe God has set you aside to, to be a minister. We believe God has set you aside to, to share in and lead in the gospel ministry in a way that's a little more special, a little more intense than an average church member. We believe that about your life. And I remember how, what an impact that was to me, that that was one of those life-forming things. And it, it shaped me. It shaped who I am. And, and then here's something that I put on my resume. Now, uh, granted, it's not a bestseller by any means, but you know, I had, I had an opportunity. I've written several things. I have several Bible studies that are on our, on you version. And I had a, a book out there that you can, you can still go to Amazon Google for the fun of it. If you want to have fun, go to amazon.com and, and just, you know, type in Tony Turner and you'll find like two little works out there, maybe three. I don't know. Um, this was the last one that several of you bought. Matter of fact, to the 15 people that did buy this book. Thank you. Thank you, right? Uh, so I, I, Dana took a copy, and she cut the, the front off of it, and she gave this to me as a gift. And it's hanging on my office uh, wall, and it reminds me, you know, when, on those rough days, I just look back and go, well, I'm published. There you go. I'm published. Uh, only 15 people have read it, but I'm published. Uh, and in all seriousness, I, this here, this, this, that, and that's something I put on resume is, hey, I'm a published author, you know. Not everyone in the world gets published. Um, now, thanks to self-publishing, anyone can that can hack out 30 pages or more. But, but uh, in all seriousness, this probably is the greatest part of my resume, right? And what this is, these are pictures of Dana and myself. These are pictures of my son, Dax. And uh, this is something Dana gave me a couple of years ago. Uh, pictures of our family. And it's hanging above my desk in front so that, again, in all seriousness, when those rough days hit, I'm able to look at this and I remind myself that how blessed I am because of the family, because of the wife and, and the son that I have. Uh, those, those memories, the, the things that I have in, my, uh, in regards to my family, that's 
probably the greatest piece of, uh, of, of, of what makes me, me. That's the greatest piece of my resume. What, why am I taking the time? Am, am I here just bragging about how great my life is and, you know, and, and how, how want yours is? No, no, no. What the point is that I'm trying to show is that, that we all, all of us have our resumes. We all put our resumes together. And what I'm asking you to do is to consider a resume, not just a piece of paper that you list your work experience, your life experience, your education in hopes to get a job. But when I'm talking about a resume, I'm talking about this is something that we invest in that gives us confidence. It makes us feel secure in our lives. Literally, it gives us uh, righteous standing. It, it justifies, your resume justifies what you do and how you do it and why you do it, right? Your resume, uh, you know, like an example, someone who just has an anger problem and, and they just blow up all the time. They can't keep a job. They can't keep relationships. And that person on their resume has, they have serious family dysfunctions when they were a kid, right? And they use that. That person will say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm angry. It's just, you know, my dad was abusive to me when I was a kid. And so I just n had nothing but anger in my life. Well, what are they doing? They're using that on their resume to justify how they're acting and why they're acting and, and what they're doing. Literally, I said this already, a, a resume gives you, think about it, let's talk about it in biblical terms. It gives you righteous standing. It's a good resume. Your goal is for it to give you righteous standing among the people around you in your society, in society, okay? Your resume, your story is building up in such a way that you can stand among your peers and say, I have a right to be here. I have a right to speak in and say the things that I say because of what I bring to the table. Paul was reviewing his resume in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, if, if we think about it in those terms. And so if you have a copy of scripture, I invite you to join me in Philippians 3, verse 4, specifically, as Paul is going through his resume. He says in the latter part of verse 4, he says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul is saying. And Paul, Paul literally, he's being boastful here. He's saying, hey, you think you're really good? I, I have more reason than you. I've done, I, I'm pretty confident that I've done more than you have done in life. And then we think, well, why can Paul say that? Well, he continues on. And by the end of, the, by the end of his speech here, I think we would all agree, yeah, Paul probably has done more than we have. In verse 5 he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. There's several things here that, that's interesting. First of all, Paul is saying, hey, I came from, from the Benjamite tribe. I'm a Benjamite. Now for us, we're like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm a Missouriite, or I'm, I'm a Missourian, right? I'm a Springfieldian, you know? What, what big deal is that? Well, in biblical terms, a Benjamite, think of that, they were an elite group of people within the tribe of Israel, within the nation of Israel. Think of the Benjamites kind of like the Navy SEALs of the Israelites, right? These were people that their historical record, they were so proud of when, when, when the Jews would fall apart, when, when uh, in the case of David, when the nation of Israel rebelled against, against uh, David and his kingdom, who was there standing by David? The Benjamites. Uh, when when the, the tribe ultimately split, 
after Solomon died, who stayed with Judah? The Benjamites. It was the Benjamites who you could count on. And over 2,000 years of history, these people were there. They were counted on. They were faithful to Yahweh. And they got a great deal of credit. But only, not only that, he also identifies himself. He says, I am a Pharisee. Now, today, in our terminology, after 2,000 years of life history, you know, that's not something to be proud of, right? Most of you, if you grew up in church and I looked at you and I said, you are a Pharisee, you would be offended right now. But let me tell you, if I would have said this in Paul's day and I'd look at you and be like, you are a Pharisee, they'd be like, thank you very much. Because the Pharisees were the elite of the elite. They were the lawyerly class. They were the ones that, that knew the law the best, practiced the law the best. They were considered by others as the most righteous in society. When a Pharisee, like if you were having a party, you would love to invite a person just for the fact that they were a Pharisee. Because you could brag to your family and friends how you had a Pharisee come to your house. Right? The, these people were incredible. They were rock stars in their community. And Paul's saying, I was a Pharisee. So, so all of these things are highly respected, highly accomplished. He goes on, he shares not just about what he's, not about his, his origin and his family and his background. There he talks about his passions and his zeal. In verse 6, he says, as for zeal, I persecuted the church as for righteousness. Based on the law, I was faultless. You see, Paul's saying, man, his passion, his motives, all outstanding, all above, higher than anyone else. You as a Jew, you're miffed at, the, at these Christ followers. Guess what I did? I, I actually put action to my motives, and I went out and I hunted them down, and I arrested them. Uh, I was faultless in following the law. I didn't just tell people to follow it. I followed it well. I followed it perfectly. He had his act together. And this gave Paul righteous standing among his peers. But hear me clearly. Paul, who had this righteous standing because of his resume, what he is beginning to tell us is he's like, God took that resume, put it aside, and he gave me, Jesus gave me something better. He gave me something and helped me to look at something, with, through, look at my life through a different perspective. Follow along with me. He continues on in verse 7. He says, wherever Whatever were gains, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss, loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For those sake, I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul's saying all the things that I put my faith in, all the things that I worked so hard for, all the things that I put my effort in from a young boy, all the things that my parents were so proud of me for doing, you know what they were? They were garbage. They were garbage. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I know everyone here woke up and was just like, I hope, I hope Pastor Tony is going to do a word study today. I am so excited about looking at the Koine Greek. But, you know, got to make this got to make this degree pay off, okay? So we're going to do a word study today, folks, okay? So prepare yourself and take notes because this is good stuff here. So honestly, the writers who came and studied 
I believe there was like 47 different authors, 47 different scholars that invested in what we have today is what I'm reading from is the NIV, the New International Version. A little dated, I know, but I, I like it. That's what I grew up on. Uh, and, and on the New International Version, honestly, the writers did a little bit of a disservice. They did a little bit of a mistranslation. You see, their sensibilities were shocked back in the 60s when they were writing this, or the 50s, I believe it was, when they were writing this, because they came across this word that they translated as garbage. And what it actually was, the Greek is scubula, scubula, okay? That's the Greek word that, they, that Paul said. Paul said, all my works were scubula. And you know what? They came across that word and they were shocked. They were like, we can't, we can't put that word in. They, we, we cannot use that word because parents will not read the Bible to their kids if they have to use that word. What is that word, scubula? That word, quite frankly, is, is fecal matter. It's dung. It's, it's poo-poo. That's, that's what it is. But let me tell you, I am keeping it toned out because literally what scubula was, literally the people, when they would use that word in Paul's day, it was a profane word. It was a word that you or I would use when we're describing fecal matter in such a way that maybe we're are impassioned, we're impassioned a bit, or we're angry, or we're frustrated. What Paul was saying was he was saying, my life, all that I did amounts to a pile of crap. But let me tell you, when I use the word crap, I'm still weak need enough not to use the word that Paul was using. Okay, do we get the picture here? That's the word he was using here. And he's saying, everything that I said was righteous. Everything that I thought that I was lifting up. Oh, oh, man, I just realized who's standing right here. We had a long conversation of why Papa used the C word, and we shouldn't be using the C word, and now my son heard me say it. Oh, oh well, we'll, deal, we'll have that talk later. Um, where was I at on my tirade? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, Paul's saying all of these things, all of these things is just worthless. Let me tell you, this was not Paul being negative. It was not Paul having an Eeyore personality where he just sees the glasses half empty. But what he was showing was he was showing that God did this supernatural miracle in his life where he exchanged his resume, Paul's resume, for a better one. He exchanged something that Paul took incredible pride in, and he said there, Jesus was quite literally saying, there is something more I have for you than your self-righteousness, than your self-effort, than all the things that you are trying to do to attain standing and to, to build your righteousness in this world. Follow with me as Paul is going through what it was that Christ replaced uh, instead of his work and his effort. In verse 9 he says, and, and uh, he earlier on so you understand the context in verse 8 he says I considered those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith what is Paul saying Paul saying hey my righteousness my right standing in life is not based on my works it's not based on my efforts it's not based on my wisdom or the things I'm putting my uh, my energy towards but it's all based upon God's righteousness 
My righteousness, Paul is saying, is based upon Christ's righteousness. Christ gave me his righteousness in my life. And he continues on in verse 10. And he, he, says, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul is saying that he finds power in Christ. And he finds fellowship in Christ by spending time with Christ suffering. Isn't it interesting how suffering has a way of chiseling rough ends off of your body in the quickest and shortest order possible? You could be in a in club med, you know, working on yourself in luxury and in the middle of just comfort and ease. And you will spend years and years trying to deal with things that if you are in the hall of suffering would be chiseled away in just days or weeks. It's just, it has a way of doing that. It has a way of humbling us. It has a way of chiseling and breaking us and helping us. And Paul's saying, look, I, I've gained so much by just being in fellowship with Christ in the midst of the suffering and then he continues on in verse 11. This is so beautiful. He says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I have hope in the future. No matter what happens in life, no matter what society does, no matter what the Roman government does, no matter where I go, no matter if I have to one day go to the executioner's table, uh, a table, which is exactly what Paul was looking at at this point that he was reading or writing Philippians. He's saying, no matter what happens, I have hope in the future because I have hope in the fact that I will be resurrected one day. And I know there's a resurrection waiting for me in Christ. So I find it interesting. And I was reading these three verses, and specifically verse 10 and 11, and, and it has occurred to me as I was pouring over this this past week in preparation for today, you know, I made a clear distinction months ago, months ago, just started seeing how fear rules so much of us now. And it fear motivates us and fear makes us navigate and do things that we've never done before in our lives. And, and I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about our our culture, I'm talking about our country, I'm talking about our neighbors, but you know what, I'm also talking about Christ followers, I'm talking about us. And you know, I'm also talking about Tony Turner. So don't sit back and feel like uh, I'm pointing my finger at you because I'm realizing that I also am looking in a mirror here and recognizing that over the last several months, how many decisions we have made, how many choices that we have taken out of fear, we've been scared. Right? And, and so I recognized early on and been vocal about this, saying we have to, as a church, confront, announce, and address, and recognize that, yes, there's fear present. There's fear present in our life, lives. There's fear present in our minds. There's fear present in our family. We have to identify it. We have to deal with it. We have to get over it. We cannot be people who live in fear. That is, that there is no place for that in the Christ follower's life. There is no place for that in a church. There is no place for that in our lives. And so I recognize that, that fear is one of those things that we have to deal with and talk about as a church. Fear. And another thing I realized, and if this hits you, then that's 
prayerfully the Holy Spirit that's about to hit you, not me. Because one of the things I also saw that was happening, a unique dynamic, was that as we talked about fear, and no doubt that there's someone that within the sounding of my voice as I was describing fear, that if you didn't do it physically, you did it emotionally, you put your arms across your chest and you just did this. And you're like, yep, you're right, Pastor Tony. Those fear mongers, those people who are so scared, they are so, they just have no faith whatsoever. And I'm so frustrated with them. And I just wish they could be like me and get over it. What, What am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying we also are seeing this other thing happening where people start experiencing what I'm calling ungodly anger, right? And, and you see it where they, they get frustrated and then anger starts setting into people who see life different than them. And they're sitting there going, they get mad and they're, they're easy to blow on people. And, you know, I've seen it. I've seen, I've watched as friends, people who are close will just have knockdown drag outs over something as stupid as a mask. Right? Dumb. Dumb that you would end a relationship or allow a relationship to be hindered because one person over here is saying, well, mask, man, that, that's the way. And then the other person over here is saying, mask, that's, man, that's ridiculous. That's not going to help us whatsoever. And these two people look at each other and the one, the pro-masker is like, you're going to kill me because you're not wearing a mask. And the person over here is like, you're so scared. You know, life, you know, why are you hiding behind that mask? And they start fighting and they just get angry. And let me tell you, if that's you, friend, get over over it. Get over it on either side, whatever side you find yourself on. What I'm saying is I'm finding this ungodly anger that wells up in people's lives and maybe it emanates in just frustration. I'm, I've shared this and was very transparent for me. The frustration happens when, uh, uh, with my banks. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, the mass thing, take it or, you know, fine, whatever. I'll do what I need to do to make people feel comfortable or to, to be a good citizen in our life. I'll have my mask over there. I'll wear it. Doesn't bother me. But, but you know what, what hap- what bothers me is, a, is, is the banks, and I, I, I'm like ticked off that I can't go into a bank and, and, and talk to someone face to face. And instead I have a person who's making nine bucks an hour. And yes, I know, you know, they're more than that, whatever. Uh, but, you know, this person that's not a banker that's depositing my money. And then I ask them to do something that's a little more complex, complicated. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that for you. And guess what? It never gets done, friends. Just this past week. Uh, we get a thing in the mail saying that we overdrew by a check. A check came in for $5,000 and we overdrew. And I was like, I didn't write a $5,000 check. Dana, did you write a $5,000 check? We don't write $5,000 checks at the Turner home. And neither one of us did. I get on and I'm looking on my app and I'm looking for, for this. And I discover this $5,000 check was, was issued by a name by a chamber of commerce in Kansas City, a community in Kansas City. And it was issued to a bishop. Some bishop. And I was like, I certainly didn't give $5,000 to a bishop. Did you? And, and then I started looking. I'm like, wait a second. This isn't one of our bank accounts. Well, it was one of our bank accounts because it was a bank account that we had uh, through the PPP thing. And then when that was over, I went to my bank. I went to my teller and said, would you act as a banker and close this account out? And they said, oh, yeah, we can. No problem. Guess what? It never closed out. Right then, oh, I had a possibility. I was looking at data, and my, I, my, I, I felt my, my temper. I, I must have turned red right then because I'm like, I, told, I knew it. I knew it. That woman did not help. I, what did I have to do? I had to deal with ungodly anger, right? I had to deal with ungodly anger. It happens to all of us. And 
Paul is dealing with it here, and you're going, I don't see anger addressed, Tony. Well, I see it addressed when he's saying, I'm experiencing the fellowship of suffering with Christ. You know, it's hard for me to get angry, friends, when as a central figure I see King Jesus on a cross dying an ignominious death, a death he didn't deserve, a death he did not commit any crime for, and he is dying. He is humiliated. He is mocked. He is spat upon. His name is drugged through the mud. People are laughing at him throughout the ages, and he's dying a terrible death. And never once do we see a flare of indignation from Jesus. Never once do we see a sense of him claiming his rights or him claiming his moral superiority over everyone else. But we see a humble servant going to his death saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when you see a picture like that, how can you allow ungodly anger to flare up in your heart? And Paul is saying, hey, you want to deal with ungodly anger? Fellowship with Christ and suffer with him. And let's see what kind of humility resonates within your soul. And then we see, we see another thing, a third thing. I, I see fear in our culture. I see ungodly anger coming out of the church. And I see hopelessness. Hopelessness. You know, it's, it's sad. I talk, to, I talk to friends. I talk to family. I talk to my brothers and sisters and some people I look in their eyes and I just see hopeless. I see it's never going to get better. It's gonna, this is the way it's going to always be. We're going to only hope, only hope to find a new normal. I read that all the time. We just can only hope that one day we'll discover what a new normal is. And I see hopelessness in people's lives. And Paul addresses this so beautifully in verse 11 when he says, he says, I, I, and I am attaining the resurrection from the dead. You see, no matter how hopeless the situation is you're in right now, your back is against the wall, and maybe it is COVID-related, or maybe it's economy-related, or maybe it's family-related, or maybe it's the fact that you got a test result from the, from the doctor that was terrible, and you have just a few months to live. I'm here to tell you that no matter where you're at, if you call yourself a Christ follower, if you say, I've called upon the name of Jesus to save me, to save me from my sin, to dwell with me, and to do life with me, to, to clean me up, and to change me from the inside out, I am saying that King Jesus is my leader and he has been my leader for the rest of, he will be my leader for the rest of life that I'm telling you that you have hope you have hope not that your cancer will be relieved not that your job will be saved not that your marriage will be worked out not that your kid will finally straighten up and fly right but you have hope in knowing that no matter what you go through in this earth there will be a resurrection for you there will be a time in which your, your, your life will cease and you will be buried. And if you're fortunate, your loved ones will come and say good things over you and bless your name and lay you in the ground. And everyone would say that's a hopeless situation. It's over. The atheist would say it's over. The agnostic would say it's over. There is no hope 
for the future for you. But I am here to tell you that 10,000 years of biblical tradition, Jesus Christ, the author of life, coming to earth, has told us that we can have hope, knowing that one day our heart will begin pumping again. One day our lungs that have ceased and stilled will begin to flow again and will begin to transmit oxygen from carbon dioxide. We will see that we will see the synapses begin to fire once again in our brain activity will begin to reactivate. We have the hope of a resurrection, the same hope that gave Paul the ability to say, I am not worried if I one day put my head on that executioner's block and he strikes my neck with a sword. He cleaves my body and he cuts my head. It it separates from my body. There will be hope for me. Paul was able to fight fear and ungodly anger and hopelessness, and so are we. So what does this have to do with us? Well, God is doing this work in all of our lives. What Paul was sharing here was not just him bragging about how he, had, he was God's special pet, right? Paul was whispered to by the Holy Spirit to share this story, to share these experiences, because the reality is these are all the experiences of all Christ followers, He is doing this work in all of our lives because the reality is we get diverted by politics. We get diverted by our education. We get diverted by promotion at work. And we start living for those things, thinking that that's going to build our resume. That's going to build our righteous standing. We get get, uh, diverted by family, thinking that will divert our our righteous standing or or promote it. Uh, we We get diverted by money, by power, by prestige. Pick your thing. If it's something I named or it's something, it's something that you know what your thing is, it's something that causes us to look away from our true resume, our righteous resume, and it to- causes us to focus on those things that we are putting our effort in, hoping that those things will give us standing. And I'm here trying to my best not to stutter or not to speak so fast that you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm just I'm trying to answer the question, where do you find your hope? Where do you find your hope? Where does it come from? Because Paul was clear in 3 verse 9. He was saying that that I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I am finding my hope. I am placing my hope in Christ, in Christ. And friends, I, as your friend, as your pastor, am begging you and pleading you, let us be people who find our hope in Christ, not in our efforts, not in our entertainment, not in the good things that you know, are fine, our family and our, our, our physical fitness and our, our ability, you know, our vacations and the, the things that divert us so often. Let us find our righteousness in Christ. This is so important, friends. You see, so often I think if you're like me, I'll look at this like an all shucks moment, you know, and I'll walk up and think, okay, uh, yeah, I miss out on an important concept from, uh, from Christ and I've maybe lived 20 or 30 years and, and I regret what I've done and I've, I've wasted my time. What do you do? You go as a defense mechanism, you just go all shucks. 
You know, you think, we think that one day, and hear me clearly, I'm not talking about salvation, Christ follower. I'm not saying that, that God's taking your salvation away because you, you're diverted. No, I'm talking about the salvation is secure, but so many of us, we don't even consider about what it's going to look like when we face God face to face for the first time. And he rewards us based on how we lived on this earth, on planet earth. Many of us just sit back and just go, well, you know what? If, if God says, you know what? You're a Christ follower because you put your faith in me, but you did nothing. You did nothing to extend the kingdom for, for your entire life. So you're here in heaven, but, but you don't get any of the rewards that your family and friends and members of your church get. You, know, you think you're going to respond to that by going, oh, shucks. So I'm just happy to be here. I'm just, oh, man. Well, listen to Paul's words. And let them penetrate. Because I don't think Paul, when he read, when he wrote verse 7, I don't, I don't see him just going, oh, shucks, folks, it's okay. But I see this being a dire warning where he's saying, guys, I wasted whatever, 20, 30 years of my life. And I'm never going to get those back. Because what does he say in verse 7? Look at this so clearly. Whatever were the gains to me. Whatever the things were that I had pride in, that I thought was going to get me somewhere, I now consider them, what's the word? Help me. Loss. I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. Because of Christ, the things that I put, my, that I put all my energy in, they lo- they're loss. That's a financial statement he's making. So let's put this in terms. Let's put this in terms we understand. This wasn't for Paul just going, oh, well... No, this was a, ah, oh, I lost something. You know, I told the first hour about how Dana and I, we, um, we changed up some of our, our things, our, our retirement things with a financial advisor. And, and this is not going to be a, you know, make, uh, money makeover talk. So, so it's, it's all fine now. I'll say it's all fine. It's working according to plan. But there were two years. There were two years. The first year, uh, our big nut got zero return. And I was, I was like, hmm, hmm, that's not what I was expecting to happen. I thought I was supposed to get some return here. And then last year, while well, I was paying attention to the market, and, and I've seen that other accounts were getting you know, crazy returns, 20 25% because of the market, we got, again, a second year in a row, zero. Zero. Now, keep in mind, I didn't lose anything. Actually, time out. That's, that's not true. I did lose because they gave out of that account, there was like a $300 yearly fee thing. So I did lose some money. I did lose some. And I called my guy up, Joe. And Joe's a Christ follower too. So I had that go. And I was like, okay, I can't be a jerk here. But, but he heard, I'll just say it this way. He heard the frustration in my voice when I said, Joe, Market's getting 22, 25% return, and I got zero. You know, this is not the right way. Now, again, you know, long story short, it's worked out fine. Everything's great. But, but at that moment, I was so frustrated. Why? Because I looked at my balance sheet, and there was less at the end of the year than what I started with. And I had loss. And there was probably just for two seconds that Dana was dealing with me where I was going, ah! And, you know, I had my hair sticking up for me pulling on it because I was like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to gain, not lose. And when we lose, when I lost, I, I was sick at my stomach, right? And I was frustrated. If that's how I respond about finances, 
How much more should I respond when I discover that my life, I'm spending my life, I'm working and I'm doing stuff that I think is going to get me some kind of net result one day. And I discover that I put my ladder on the wrong wall to climb the ladder of success. I discover that all the things that I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to be a good dad, and I'm trying to be a good husband, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking my family's going to get me there. And I discover that, that that one day is going to be lost for me. I have to respond with more than a, oh, shucks. Oh, well. No, Paul's saying, look, consider it loss. Consider it lost. So pay attention to this. Know that, that you, this is a dire warning not to, not to invest in a resume that will be lost. But to do what? But to, but to press on. Paul warns us. Press on and keep moving. Keep going forward. Because here's the reality. In this day and age, I realize that some of us, some of us here maybe, some of us online, some of us who aren't online and aren't here, they just, they've quit They've quit. They've quit moving forward. Maybe they've said, oh, I'm putting a pause. I'm just pressing a pause right now in my faith because this is a weird time and a crazy time. Friend, if you're pressing a pause, you're quitting. That's quitting. Okay? And you quit. And I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to say, tiss, tiss, tiss. I'm here to point to Paul and listen to what he is saying. He's saying, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stay stuck. This is the final verse. This is the greatest verse of this talk here. He, he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this. I love this about Paul. He's saying, he himself is saying, hey, folks, I'm not perfect here. I'm still, there's still times I'm looking at my old resume. I'm still looking at times, and I get diverted to those things that used to, I used to take so much pride in. He's, Paul himself is saying that. He's saying, I struggle with this too sometimes. I have not yet already obtained all that I'm saying, but what I've done, uh, I, I have already obtained, or, or that I've already obtained at my goal. He's saying that, okay, I haven't reached my goal yet, but then get this final verse, or this final section of the verse. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. He's saying, hey, God has not finished with me. He has not finished with me yet. If it's true for Paul, it's true for you and for me. If we're up here and we're upright and we're breathing, friends, God is not done with you yet. So allow him to take hold of you and you take hold of him who took hold of you. Today, let's pay attention to what our resume is, friends. What? What are you putting your hope in? And there are some things that maybe you're putting your hope in. You're thinking they're going to bring you righteous standing on this earth. And the reality is they're not. Paul put his hope in works righteousness and in effort. But maybe you put your hope in wealth or you put your hope in money or you put your hope in friends or you put your hope in family or you put your hope in fun and memories and whatever, whatever it is you put your hope in, you put your hope in work, you put your hope in having the perfect home with the perfect family, whatever you put your hope in, understand that one day you're going to look at that and you're going to go, I wasted my efforts. And instead, let that go. Let God allow that to pull that from you, from your hands and replace it with something far better. Hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And King Jesus, would you just cause us, would you provoke us to be people who would, who would just examine, where do we place our hope at? Where do we put our hope in? And Lord, help us to see. 
Help us to see the things that, that are just not helpful. The things that are, we'll never design. They were never designed to give us righteousness, to give us right standing with you or with our world around us. Help us to lay those down and embrace hope with King Jesus. That we can have hope in him. That we have a future in him. We have right standing in him. And may we pursue that with every bit of power, with every bit of, of gusto that we could muster, God. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.